Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is episode 116. I guess you could say this is history lesson number two in a series of history lessons before we get into a few more of the connected details of the JFK assassination. The CIA and its covert operations, along with the mafia and Cubans and the island of Cuba itself, all collided and commingled for a long stretch of time in the decades before and after the assassination. So what are we here trying to understand about all of that? Well, why would the government be involved in covert acts, and why would the mafia fight alongside of the government, and why would the Cubans be involved with the mafia and the CIA? And finally, why would the CIA and the mafia be as focused on Cuba as the Cubans themselves were. All of these unnatural relationships, actually, have pretty logical and predictable beginnings. And that is why the history of it all is so important. Because once you hear it all, the pieces will fit together more logically than they might otherwise. Although it still makes for an extraordinary collision of circumstances and events in history. So let's proceed so that we can better understand how things got the way they were. As I said, our last episode was a discussion around the CIA and how it was born and why it became what it did and how the concept of covert operations evolved. In this episode, we explore the mafia and some of its beginnings in this country and how it got to where it was and is and how it grew and how it came to be intertwined in certain ways with the government and the CIA. And then how history led the mafia to Cuba and brought it riches that even the largest and most powerful criminal enterprises could not retain in the tide of political and social revolution. And revenge and reparations then combined when the exiles of Cuba joined forces with the CIA and the CIA joins forces with the mafia to achieve a common goal. What was that goal? Well, ultimately to topple Fidel Castro so that they might all restore the Cuba that was. The mafia would get back its slice of paradise and a criminal paradise worth more money than most of us can count. And the government and the CIA would thwart a communist aggression that was just 90 miles off the coast of Florida. And the Cubans, well, they would get their country back from a dictator. They would all get what they wanted in this Faustian bargain. The mafia in this country is primarily a story about Italians. I'm an Italian-American through my father's side of the family. We are from Abruzzi in Italy, a region that is south of Rome and occupies an area that runs to the eastern border along the Aegean Sea. It's ruggedly hilly and still beautiful countryside, mostly a farming history, but with other rich elements of Italian culture as well. Italians love family. Familia is the word for family in Italian. Almost every Friday night in the early years of growing up, my family would gather with my uncle's family and my aunt's family, all at my uncle's house, all to eat Italian and be together. My uncle's famous garlic pizza was a part of it. The thick sauce and bread and spaghetti and stuffed artichokes and ravioli and sausage and peppers and, well, too many other fine dishes to remember were served as a staple. And there was even more when gathered on a Sunday in the same way, sometimes after church. My grandparents were both children of immigrants who were born in the old country. 
They were like the characters on Moonstruck. They were the central figures in the play. They were the core around which the family orbited. I had the quintessential Italian grandmother who was under five feet tall and she was heavy set and she was an amazing cook and amazingly funny, always full of laughter. I believe she went to school through the fourth grade or so, but she could speak at least three languages, including Italian and English. And she would do little things for you, and she would read you stories, and she would emote like Italians can do. She taught me a little bit more about being human and of loving deeply. And my grandfather, as you know, worked on the New York Central Railroad in the Roundhouse, forging parts and fixing locomotives, a quieter man with a gentle disposition, but strong in his own way. My own dad, his son, was in his image. It was real, and it was just like that. It was familia. I grew up very proud of my Italian heritage, perhaps taking the cue from the dulcet sounds of a Frank Sinatra song or Pericomo or something like it that played in the background almost every Friday night or on the weekends. It was not till years later that I would begin to better understand that the Italians were highly discriminated against as they came to this country and among all the European immigrants themselves, they were perhaps looked down upon as a matter of calculating the social order of things in that era and in a very judgmental way. Unfortunate for the Italians that lived then. Some of the more famous ones helped to change that, mostly actors, but there were other famous ones too, the fame that came with the gangsters. Hollywood loves the bad boy image, so the gangsters stayed on the radar. It was only in later years when the film The Godfather came out that I would begin to learn the story of the mafia. Even to Italian families, this was not something spoken about much in those days. It would take a rapidly changing world with rapidly changing forms of art and mass communication and a director named Francis Ford Coppola and an actor named Arlen Brando to make the unique culture inside the Italian-American mafia of the 1920s and 1930s and 1940s real to all of us, whether we were Italian or not. It was a story of the golden age, so to speak, of the Italian mafia in this country. I remember being in the car with my parents as they drove by the single-screen movie theater, the only one in the little city that I lived in at the time, with the lines all the way past the department store and around the corner for about as long as I could see, lined up to buy a ticket to see this movie that was sweeping the nation, The Godfather. The making of this story, which is so consistent with the making of many movies in Hollywood, was the culmination of the events themselves, and then, finally, a moment socially in the history of this country that the secrets could be revealed in such a widespread and shocking and cinematically seductive way. And that is just the way that they were portrayed on the screen in the movie The Godfather. The secret of the mafia as a criminal enterprise has finally, but rather slowly, been uncovered and revealed by the government in the years leading up to the movie. And now, Hollywood was telling the story. It was 1971, I believe, or somewhere thereabouts. The Great Awakening, which is a term used in Robert Blakey's book, The Plot to Kill the President, marks the point at which the U.S. government began to recognize and acknowledge the existence of the mafia and the idea of an organized crime syndicate in this country. Well, 
We'll chronicle that great awakening in a moment, but let's not get too far ahead yet. So let's go on a wander today and learn more and learn the core story related to how the Italian mafia in this country evolved and and how it wanders into history only to finally tie back with all of its tentacles to the story that is the JFK assassination. So, without further ado, let's listen to episode 116 of JFK, The Enduring Secret. The secret Italian name was finally revealed. It was Cosa Nostra, all the way from the island of Sicily. Before the trappings of modern society, there were clans and there were invaders. The island of Sicily, sitting in the Mediterranean, had a geography that left it exposed to constant invasion by many different forces. Defending the locals and clan society long before strong governments and law enforcement took coalition and human bonding. It took brotherhood. And out of this came the Cosa Nostra. Peppered all over the rural villages of this island were the Cosa Nostra. Eventually, their strength, though, would turn from light to dark. They would become gangs. And then, of course, they were no longer for the good of the order. But they were, before we knew it, common criminals. Understanding their history is important here. You see, until the 19th century, the word mafioso did not refer to someone who was a criminal, but rather a person who was suspicious of central authority. In the 1860s, a play called I, Mafiosi della Vicaria, Heroes of the Penitentiary, was about a group of inmates at a Sicilian prison who maintained their own hierarchy and rituals. It toured Italy and it helped popularize the term mafia in the Italian language. For centuries, Sicily, an island in the Mediterranean Sea between North Africa and the Italian mainland, was ruled by a long line of foreign invaders, including Phoenicians, Romans, Arabs, French, and the Spanish. The residents of this small island formed groups to protect themselves from the often hostile occupying forces as well as from other regional groups of Sicilians. These groups, which later became known as clans or families, developed their own system for justice and retribution, carrying out their actions in secret. And by the 19th century, some of these groups emerged as private armies or mafi, who extorted protection money from landowners and eventually became the violent criminal organization known today as the Sicilian Mafia. When you think about it, the 1800s had their own great period of change. Well, here in this country, we were engaged in the Great Civil War from 1861 through 1865. Italy, at the same time, was busy unifying itself for the first time as a nation. 
1861, Sicily became a province of that recently unified Italy. However, chaos and crime reigned across the island as the fledgling Italian government tried to establish itself. In the 1870s, Roman officials even asked Sicilian mafia clans to help them by going after dangerous independent criminal bands. In exchange, officials would look the other way as the mafia continued its protection shakedowns of landowners. The government believed this arrangement would be temporary, lasting just long enough for Rome to gain control. But instead, the mafia clans expanded their criminal activities and further entrenched themselves in Sicilian politics and the economy. The mafia became adept at political corruption and intimidated people to vote for certain candidates, who were in turn beholden to the mafia. Even the Catholic Church was involved with mafia clans during this period. Now, fast forward to the great migration of Europeans, Italians, to the USA that began in the late 19th century, and then we have what I call the anthropological dig that is the history of the American mafia. It starts to bear its origins actually pretty early. These men transplanted to America, Italians, mostly Sicilians, who grew up in that environment, brought the culture of the mafioso to the new country. So it's not a big anthropological leap, so to speak, in our story. In the archaeological dig that we are on here to tell the story of the American mafia, it's not a leap to understand how some places like New York became the primary and central location of these new bandits. And of course, our country and its new Italian immigrants over time just scattered all over the Northeast and then began to head west to places in the Midwest, places like Chicago and Detroit. Like any other of the Europeans who came to this country and sought another life, in the beginning, they brought their gang mentality to this country and eventually they evolved into a more organized version here of what had already been in place in Sicily. It took prohibition, though, to propel the mafia in this country. And in anthropological terms, the American mafia truly evolved from Italians who stepped off the ships in the early part of the 20th century. But to be truthful, there were roots of it here in this country well before then. The first published account of what became the mafia in the United States actually dates way back to the spring of 1869, the New Orleans Times reported that the city's second district had become overrun by, uh, in quotes, well-known and notorious Sicilian murderers, counterfeiters, and burglars, who in the last month have informed a sort of general co-partnership or stock company for the plunder and disturbance of the city. Emigration from southern Italy to the Americas was primarily to Brazil and Argentina, and New Orleans had a heavy volume of port traffic to and from both of those locales. Giuseppe Morello was the first known mafia member to emigrate to the United States. He and six other Sicilians fled to New York after murdering 11 wealthy landowners, the chancellor and a vice-chancellor of a Sicilian province included. He was arrested in New Orleans in 1881, and he was extradited back to Italy. From the 1890s to 1920 in New York City, the Five Points Gang, founded by a guy named Paul Kelly, was very powerful in Little Italy on the Lower East Side. Kelly recruited some street hoodlums who later became some of the most famous crime bosses of the century, such as 
Johnny Torrio, Al Capone, Lucky Luciano, and Frank Yale. New Orleans was also the site of the first possible mafia incident in the U.S. that received both national and international attention. On October 15, 1890, New Orleans Police Superintendent David Hennessy was murdered, execution style. Hundreds of Sicilians were arrested on mostly baseless charges, and 19 were eventually indicted for the murder. An acquittal followed, with rumors of bribed and intimidated witnesses. On March 14, 1891, the outraged citizens of New Orleans organized a lynch mob after the acquittal and proceeded to kill 11 of the 19 defendants. Two were hanged, nine were shot, and the remaining eight escaped. Oh, and the term mafioso. Although its precise origins are unknown, the term mafia came from a Sicilian Arabic slang expression that means acting as a protector against the arrogance of the powerful. More specifically, mafia in the United States emerged in impoverished Italian immigrant neighborhoods or ghettos in New York, mostly places like East Harlem or Italian Harlem, the Lower East Side, and and Brooklyn. And it also emerged in other areas of the East Coast of the United States and several other major metropolitan areas, such as New Orleans and Chicago. New Orleans particularly has the very roots of its beginning. This all happened during the late 19th century and early 20th century, following waves of Italian immigration, especially from Sicily and other regions of southern Italy as well. It has its roots, of course, as I've just described in the Sicilian Mafia, but it really is, in this country, a separate organization in the United States. Campanian and Calabrian and other Italian criminal groups in the U.S. are also present, as well as other independent Italian-American criminals but they eventually merged with the Sicilian mafiosi to create the modern Pan-Italian mafia that you see now in North America. But as I said a moment ago, it really took the act of prohibition in the 1920s to propel the American mafia forward in this country. And for a short while, it was like a rocket ship. On January 16, 1919, prohibition began in the United States with the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution, making it illegal to manufacture, to transport, or to sell alcohol. As you might expect, despite these bans, there was still a very high demand for alcohol in this country. Go figure, huh? This created an atmosphere that tolerated crime as a means to provide liquor to the public, even among the police and city politicians. The profits that could be made from selling and distributing alcohol were worth the risk of punishment from the government, which had a difficult time enforcing anything during Prohibition related to the topic. Criminal gangs and politicians saw the opportunity to make fortunes and began shipping larger quantities of alcohol to U.S. cities. The majority of the alcohol was imported from Canada, the Caribbean, and the American Midwest, where stills manufactured illegal alcohol. In the early 1920s, fascist Benito Mussolini took control of Italy, and waves of Italian immigrants fled to the United States. Sicilian Mafia members also fled to the United States as well, as Mussolini cracked down on Mafia activities in Italy. Most Italian immigrants resided in tenement buildings. As a way to escape the poor lifestyle, some Italian immigrants chose to join the American Mafia. 
The mafia took advantage of prohibition and began selling illegal alcohol, as I mentioned earlier. The profits from bootlegging far exceeded the traditional crimes of protection, extortion, gambling, and prostitution. Prohibition allowed mafia families to make fortunes. As prohibition continued, victorious factions went on to dominate organized crime in their respective cities, setting up the family structure of each city. The bootlegging industry organized members of these gangs before they were distinguished as today's known families. The new industry required members at all different employment levels, such as bosses, lawyers, truckers, and even members to eliminate competitors through threats of force. Gangs hijacked each other's alcohol shipments, forcing rivals to pay them for protection to leave their operations alone, and armed guards almost invariably accompanied the caravans that delivered the liquor. In the 1920s, Italian mafia families began waging wars for absolute control over lucrative bootlegging rackets. As the violence erupted, Italians fought Irish and Jewish ethnic gangs for control of bootlegging in their respective territories. In New York City, for example, Frankie Yale waged war with the Irish-American White Hand Gang. In Chicago, Al Capone and his family massacred the Northside Gang, another Irish-American outfit. In New York City, by the end of the 1920, two factions of organized crime had emerged to fight for control of the criminal underworld, one led by Joe Masseria and the other by Salvatore Maranzano. This caused the Castellamere's War, which led to Masseria's murder, actually, in 1931. Maranzano then divided New York City into five families. Maranzano was effectively the first leader of the American Mafia, established the code of conduct for the organization, he set up the family divisions and structure that is in place today, and he established procedures for resolving disputes. In an unprecedented move, Maranzano set himself up as boss of all bosses and required all families to pay tribute to him. This new role was received negatively, and Maranzano was murdered within six months on the orders of Charles Lucky Luciano. Luciano was a former Masseria underling who had switched sides to Maranzano and orchestrated the killing of Masseria. Prohibition resulted initially in the success of Italian-American neighborhood gangs and the booming bootleg liquor business that began to emerge almost immediately after Prohibition was passed. Even though its origins were from those Italians, those Sicilians, the American Mafia is, in some sense, a different animal. Although they do share many traditions, such as omerta and a code of conduct that has loyalty as one of its core elements. The period between 1920 and 1950 was an unprecedented growth period for the American Mafia. By the 1950s, the Mafia had become the preeminent organized crime network in the United States, and it was involved in a range of underworld activities from loan sharking to prostitution, while at the same time also infiltrating labor unions and legitimate industries such as construction, and in one example, the garment industry in New York. Almost anywhere there was a lucrative payday that they could muscle into, they did. Like the Sicilian Mafia, American Mafia families were able to maintain their secrecy and success because of their code of omerta, as well as their ability to bribe and intimidate public officials, business leaders, witnesses, and juries. 
For these reasons, law enforcement agencies were largely ineffective at stopping the mafia during the first part of the 20th century. And while we are on this archaeological dig of sorts, let's explore the concept of omerta. That, too, has its origins in Sicily. And it, too, was carried to the new country by immigrants. It was a simple paradigm. In today's gang-ridden world, it sounds familiar in its form. It was this. In order to further strengthen themselves, Sicilian clans began conducting initiation ceremonies in which new members pledged secret oaths of loyalty. Of chief importance to the clans was Omerta, an all-important code of conduct reflecting the ancient Sicilian belief that a person should never go to the government authorities to seek justice for a crime and never cooperate with authorities investigating any wrongdoing. The mafia still operates today, and if you were to take a wander and drive to the northeastern United States and make your way through New York, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and New England, even in areas such as Boston, Providence, and Hartford, and then head to Midwest cities such as Chicago and other Midwestern metropolitan areas such as Kansas City, Detroit, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and St. Louis, you would be in the presence of the mafia. If you are in Florida or Las Vegas and Los Angeles, there would be a mafia influence and activity around you. And there are other places still as well, and to a lesser extent possibly in places like northeastern Pennsylvania, Dallas, <laughs> interestingly enough, of course, Denver, New Orleans, Rochester, San Francisco, San Jose, Seattle, on and on, Tampa, many, many places. At the Mafia's peak, there were at least 26 cities around the United States with Cosa Nostra families, with many more offshoots and associates in all sorts of other cities across the nation. Of course, the most famous of the families are the five main New York City Mafia families known as the Five Families. The Gambino, the Lucchese, the Genovese, the Bonanno, and the Colombo families. Each crime family has its own territory and operates independently, while nationwide coordination is overseen by something now called the Commission, which consists of the bosses of each of the strongest families, kind of like a board of directors. Though the majority of the Mafia's activities are, in this current age of ours, contained to the northeastern United States and Chicago, they continue to dominate organized crime in the United States despite the increasing numbers of other crime groups. Well, we're going to pause there. That's a whole heck of a lot of background. I think this sets us up nicely for a continuation of this discussion in episode 117, where we begin to explain where the mafia began to have its connections into the government. And World War II is a part of that story, along with the age-old question of immigration. And the gangster Lucky Luciano will help us tie it all together.
Thank you for listening to episode 116 of JFK, The Enduring Secret.